Welcome to the Informed Pregnancy and Parenting Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Elliot Berlin. My guest today is a strategic consultant and entrepreneur. She, as Cody Horn, was an actress in projects like The Office and Magic Mike. Before that, she was a model for 10 years, working for companies and brands such as Ralph Lauren, Vogue, and Vanity Fair. A lifelong advocate for our great mother, she has a bachelor's in environmental ethics from NYU and grew up right here in Los Angeles. She very recently became a mom via the path less traveled. Cody, Carolyn, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Dr. Brown. It's so nice to be here. Oh, you're amazing for coming. Wait till you guys hear this story. And then for you to not just experience, but come share it with all of us. I'm very grateful. Okay, let's start at the very beginning. Just briefly, you're from LA, and then you went from acting and modeling to entrepreneuring and consulting. Yes, I hit that thing that happens at 27, where you kind of live or die. <laughs> and, I, and I realized I was really not living and uh, made some major changes in my life that led me away from things in front of the camera, which had just been sort of suggested to me in my life. I never really owned it, I never really claimed it. And I got really lucky and I worked really hard. I had a wonderful career, but it never was mine. And then in my late twenties, I had the opportunity to look inward and do some real personal work that led me to changing a lot of things, including my career. And now I'm lucky to work with a bunch of different friends and colleagues. And we have a few companies or I work with a few companies across so many different aspects of life and I'm living. You're enjoying it. I'm enjoying it. It's cool that at 27, you already had a career and then you got to move on to another career. You know, a lot of my friends at 27 were still like, Jesus, I don't know. I think I like this beer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I definitely didn't know which beer I liked, but I had already had two careers. <laughs> yeah, well, they had 19 beers and no career. So <laughs> I didn't even know, like, uh, in bachelor's in environmental ethics, what led you down that path? My mother, when she became pregnant with me in the 80s, she started researching environmental things and health and discovered the mercury in the fish at the time. That was a, a hot mm. topic here in Los Angeles. And so both my parents are lifelong or my entire lifelong mm. environmentalists. And it just was very, it was effortless for us. And when I went to college, I knew I wanted to study some iteration of philosophy. I went to the Gallatin School at NYU where you really create your own program. My actual degree is an independent study, but you create your own program and you, it's almost like a grad program. So I knew I wanted to study philosophy and then over time it just narrowed to ethics. And then over time it narrowed to the ethics of the environment. And that's what kept me in school because I started modeling at 15. And so I was a full-time working professional and a full-time student. And the only way I knew how to get through it was to study something I was passionate about, which was philosophy. Yeah, that's cool. Ironically, I did theater. I was a theater major. Why is that so, ironic? Uh, because you weren't. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I guess and, the full irony would have been that I had studied medicine and then <laughs> became an actor and you studied theater and became a doctor. Right. You could have played one on TV, I suppose. <laughs> never uh, a doctor lots of cops i played a lot of cops uh i play one in my office so here's <laughs> the thing uh where'd you meet your husband we actually met on set he was a um he is a writer producer and we met on the set of um, movie magic mike that i did and we met um almost 10 years ago this year and we got together four years later four years after you met four years after we met you became a couple we became a couple and then how long till it got serious? Like a day. <laughs> <laughs> I think once you've known someone that long and the switch flips, the switch has flipped. Yeah. And we both knew that it was at least really real. There's never any guarantees in life that we didn't you know, talk about marriage on day one. That wasn't the point. We knew this was really special and we knew that we wanted to explore it. And so we did. And then marriage ultimately resonated with us. It doesn't resonate with everybody, but it did resonate with us. And so we got married two something years ago, and then we just had our daughter. It's moving right along. It is. We are, it's, we're checking the boxes. It's like the game of life. It is. It is. And that's one of the things I knew that it, that it was the real deal. We just, we got together and we immediately started creating together, just creating all kinds of things. And now we've created a person. That's amazing. That's a cool thing to create. Um, did the talk of creating in person come early on or later? I think early on, I don't really remember, but I know that we, 
I know that I knew that he wanted kids and he knew that I wanted kids, but it wasn't immediate. I was 20, I think I was 27 when we got together. And as we mentioned in the intro here, I had a lot of work to do on myself. And so there was a lot of time where we were just building out ourselves as people and then and then building our relationship. But we both knew we wanted kids. It just, it, there was no pressure early on to have them. Yeah. And so when you decided to go forward with it, did it come easy to you? It did. Yeah. We were, we were really lucky. It did. We sort of opened the door and she came right in. She was amazing. Ready. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. So then uh, how was pregnancy for you? How was early pregnancy for you? Early pregnancy was tough. Um, I got very nauseous all the time. I wasn't constantly in the bathroom, you know, over the toilet throwing up, but I was very queasy, like on the verge of it, I felt 24 hours a day. And I had gotten very antiquated advice about having the, you know, saltine before you get out of bed thing. And the carbohydrates have never done well with my body. I should say my body has never done well with carbohydrates. The carbohydrates thrive in my body, but they don't treat me very well. And finally, I was actually through a, a women's group. I met a midwife who said, by the way, up your protein. And I started just having protein shakes just that I could keep down. And within three or four days, I had balanced out my you know, protein intake levels and I was pretty much fine. But that was at week I want to say 15. It lasted a long time. Yeah. Wow, yeah. Were there other things that helped you cope through that time before you got the protein secret? Uh, well, I was to survive. I was eating literally plain pasta and vanilla bean ice cream, but that did not help me. Um, <laughs> I knew early on that sleep and food and love were going to be the key to my pregnancy. If I could rest, if I could eat right, And then if I could feel heard or express my emotions, whatever was coming up, let it out of my body and just, or share joyfully, whatever I was dealing with. I knew if I had those three things that I would be able to handle whatever was thrown at me. And if one of those things was missing, then life became overwhelming. Whatever was, you know, whatever work situation was thrown at me, it'd be all of a sudden I was struggling to deal with it. So I had to keep those three things in in balance and prioritize them. When you got past the 15 weeks and the nausea started to go away, did you get into the golden trimester that people talk about? More energy, kind of getting excited about the pregnancy? I did. And, you know, there was also the the shadow side of the wonderful career that I'm, I'm grateful to have had was that there's a little bit of body dysmorphia going on there. So when in the early trimester, first trimester, when I was just feeling like that and little tiny bumps, little tiny things. I'm not really showing. I didn't feel great. And then once my belly popped, all of a sudden I felt pregnant. And of course this is in a pandemic. So it's not, I wasn't walking around in restaurants and cafes or whatever, feeling someone holding the door open for me or, you know, anything like that. It was really just at home in my body. But once she popped out, I really felt, um, here this is, um, and I can enjoy this. And I also, I, you know, I don't know how many times I'm going to get to do this in my life. And I just wanted to enjoy it. So I did have energy and I did use it, but at that same time, work really took a crazy turn of really needing a lot of my attention. So I needed the energy. I was using a lot of it to work. And a lot of it to build a human. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I was just trying to eat right. And I started doing daily walks and that really felt amazing. Just was that the, your main form of exercise? But yes, it was. I was so sick in the first trimester. I basically stopped exercising and I never really started again. I was one of those five days a week, something people before that. And I just was walking. And the next thing that happened was that my pubic bone started really hurting around oh. week 22. And so that stopped me from doing a lot of activity other than walking. And I would get work done from my favorite guy to get body work done. Who's a Heller worker. It was a student of Rolf. It's a wonderful body work. So we were working on the pubic bone and I would get some relief and then it would go and then it would come back. Okay. At this time you are under the care of who in terms of your pregnancy? My midwife, Alex Evangeliti was the only one I was under the care of at that time. Okay. So was midwifery your plan from the beginning? Yes. I knew always that I wanted a home birth and I knew always that that a midwife 
And I had interviewed like two other people. And then I walked into Alex's office and I just knew she was the one I, I signed with her at week 20. Then I got an ultrasound at week 20 from Dr. Fishbein as well. The more structural kind of ultrasound? I just hadn't had an ultrasound yet. And so, yes, it was a structural one just to make sure that everything was fine and, you know, check her measurements. Although at that point, because my husband and I are quite tall, they weren't really taking any of the measurements seriously, her femur bone or anything like that, because, you know, I had tracked my period dates before. So that's how we got our due date. And there was no point in measuring her because we're tall people. So the femur was going to be long. Yeah. 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 Uh, You would hope so. Um, Why? home birth and midwifery? I think these things are emotional decisions. And for me, I've never had a great relationship with hospitals. I've never thankfully spent the night in a hospital uh, as a patient, but I've never felt super comfortable in them, even visiting family members or friends who were hospitalized for whatever reason. So I knew I was always looking for another solution. My dream, honestly, was to give birth in a birthing pool, like in a a hot spring in the middle of nowhere. So I tried to find the balance between a hospital (laughs) and that. And the solution was my, you know, safe house in Los Angeles that has running water with a midwife. (laughs) And And snacks. And snacks. And snacks, yes. Most important part of home birth. Yes. Uh, All right. Let's take a little break. When we come back, we'll find out how your third trimester went and where things sort of took a turn. Okay. We'll be right back with Cody Carolyn. <laughs> hey everyone, it's Dr. Berlin, and I want to talk to you about something that is close to my heart, literally, omega-3. It's a crucial nutrient that's sadly overlooked. With 95% of women deficient, Needed, the supplement brand I trust, created their brand new Omega-3 Soft Gels. Designed by perinatal experts, they support you and your baby's well-being from fertility to pregnancy and beyond. Unlike other brands, Needed's Omega-3 is sustainable, pesticide-free, and third-party tested for purity. Plus, my favorite, it has a milder taste and smell, perfect for sensitive mamas. Don't wait. Visit thisisneeded.com and use code BERLIN to get 20% off your initial order. Experience the needed difference, consciously crafted for your health and the planet. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome back to the Informed Pregnancy Podcast. We're talking to Cody. She is in our story in the middle of her pregnancy, feeling better, growing, enjoying the bump, and working hard. And she's under the care of a midwife, Alex Evangeliti. Okay, flash forward to the third trimester. Now you're really starting to pop. And I know you said that, you know, given your modeling past, you're a little more conscious of your body. When that bump got even bigger, was that exciting to you? Was that nerve wracking to you? Did you like it? Were you mad at it? I loved it. I marvel at the female body. I would look in the mirror and I would think, look at what's happening here. This is incredible. It is without a single thought of mine that this is happening. I spend no time considering this. She's just growing. I marveled at it. So I was really happy. It is quite insane what your body's going to do. Now, I know you're into home birth. You're definitely not into the hospital environment. And also midwifery is quite different than obstetric care. Are you at this point, thinking about your birth and the kind of things that you want to have around you or the people that you want to have around you? Yeah. I obviously had a hope that I could have a home birth, but I also know that my understanding of life is that if we hold on to certain visions really strongly, sometimes they don't happen. And so I wanted to be open to the possibility that I would have to transfer to a hospital or whatever. So Alex suggested I meet Dr. Affleck at St. John's, which happens to be where I was born. And so I met her and brought her on as a backup OB, which was an immediate fit as well. And then I met uh, doula Carmen Paris Thomas and immediately took to her 
same thing. So that was the team at the time and my husband and our dogs uh, <laughs> there for the comedic relief. <laughs> they are very funny. Is, <laughs> I mean, that's a powerful dream team. It really is. It really is. And so I was really happy with that team. We were cruising along. I had the pubic bone pain, but that was pretty much it. She was growing. The belly measurements were great. I had very little swelling. I had some acid reflux, but I really had no other symptoms. It was just flying through the air beautifully at this point. That's so nice. Yeah. And that's the team. That's who was going to be around you. Did you have thoughts on what would be comforting to you? Did you have excitement about birth only or also some anxiousness? And if so, what were you concerned about? Um, you know, my husband kept asking me, what do you want in the space? Do you want candles or music? And I didn't care about any of that. I didn't really think about anything. I just wanted presence and reverence to this miracle. It's really sort of nebulous to say, but it, it really is all I wanted. It was just that the right people were there and that was it. And I don't want to give away what we're talking about here. I'm assuming you might in the title anyway, but my literally only fear was that when I got pregnant or even before pregnancy, but before I got pregnant was that I would have a breech baby. That was my really? literally my only fear. Yes, because I thought it was the only thing based off of my age, my health, that I'm in good health and that I'm relatively young, they would be the only thing that would take me to a hospital. I just thought, just don't be breached. <laughs> That's kind of interesting because there's so many other things that really could take you to the hospital. Or I know. Risk you out of home birth. But that uh, was the only thing that I thought. There's the only thing that my brain understood because I thought, well, I'm not going to suddenly decide that I want a hospital birth. So that's the only thing that can take me. You're going to be forced into it. I yeah. mean, did you know somebody who had a breech baby? How did that even get into your head? I think I just knew that babies were born breached sometimes. I No, I, I must have known someone along the path of life. But when it ended up happening and people started coming out saying I was breech or my baby was breech or, or whatever, I had no idea. It wasn't something that I was intimately familiar with. I was not breech. I think it's just based off of my basic understanding of the American medical system. Yeah, I was breech. That's right. I think you told me that. Yeah. Before they cared. Right. They're just like, oh, that's not his face. <laughs> <laughs> I experienced that feeling. <laughs> yeah. So this is what happened. So, I mean, the cat's a little out of the bag. At some point you found out you had a breech baby. Was that during a midwife appointment? No. So she was in position at 29 weeks. She was a little bit skewed to the left, I want to say, but she was completely in position and we were just working on getting her spine to my belly button. She stayed and she stayed, she stayed, she stayed. Then at 36 weeks, as part of Dr. Affleck's care package, she has sort of mandatory ultrasound at 36 weeks. And we were here at my house. Alex was here. Carmen was here. And Dr. Affleck was here. And she turns on the ultrasound and she looks at Alex and Alex says, no. <laughs> breach and Dr. Affleck just, just nods her head and it surprised all of us. That was your one thing. Yeah, that was my one thing. Then immediately everyone got professional and started talking about the options and what this means. But I just thought, wow. And there was barely, you know, enough time to flip her, but immediately it was an onslaught of let's try and do something if we can. What kind of things did they suggest? Uh, the Spinning Babies website, courses, all the stuff on Spinning Babies, lots of rebozo work. Um, I have a pool, so they suggested kind of getting in my pool and doing handstands, basically, inverting my body, and then coming and seeing you. Oh, and, and acupuncture. I did acupuncture as well. With moxa? With moxa, yeah. Okay. So how did you get into those Spinning Babies positions? Everybody has a different way of doing it. The spinning babies positions, I have a little like half ironing board that I would prop up against my couch and look very funny, prop, you know, <laughs> leaning up, up upside down against it with my head turned to the side, trying to, you know, Netflix and chill. It's a whole new way of doing it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then there was a good one of sort of kneeling on the couch and then moving my hands down to the floor and then coming back up. I did that one a bunch and, or off my bed. Those are, I think, the two main ones that I did. And then we did some rebozo work as well whenever I had access. Whenever Carmen would come over, we'd do some rebozo work. 
Okay. And I mean, we're going through a lot of stuff here, but uh, yeah. Spinning Babies, you can find it, spinningbabies.com to see. It's just a series of exercises that are recommended to try to help the baby find a, a more ideal position. And then you also went in the pool. How Had you been swimming the whole time? No, it was winter and I'm frugal and I didn't feel like heating my pool. So, Sweet. so <laughs> I had to heat it and uh, get in it. <laughs> what what was it like though getting into the pool like nine months pregnant? It's a total different buoyancy. I have to tell you, I did not enjoy it. And I, I didn't do it very often because the flipping would put some weird pressure in my ears. They yeah. literally I was suggested to spin and they put weird pressure in my ears and I didn't like it. And so yeah, that one did not resonate with me. Okay, then acupuncture and moxa. Yes, and, those we didn't. Yeah, sorry. Ne- needles uh, stimulation uh, from the Chinese meridian chart, and then also heat stimulation with the herbal mugwort is the herb that's in the stick called a moxa stick, and you burn it, so it's called moxibustion, and it smells fantastic. That became a ritual for me and my husband at night. He would do the moxa treatments on my feet because my acupuncturist had really said I shouldn't breathe it too much. So mm-hmm. he would light the moxa for me. We had a stick and then there's ones that can sort of sticker on whatever foot. Yeah. yeah. And so he would do that. And that became a really wonderful ritual of him caring for me. That was wonderful. So we were pretty religious about that. Oh, um, sounds like you might, you could still do it now. Yeah. It's another version of it. The other thing I should say we did before coming to see you was that it was really suggested to me to really just tap in and talk to her. Mm-hmm. and see if there was anything she wanted to say um, or just have a communication with her about it because she had been in position for so long and then she suddenly flipped. Sorry if you can hear my dog, by the way. Oh, that's what that is. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Hi, doggy. Yes. So then also I ended up seeing you and, you know, we did massage to loosen up the muscles and tendons around your low back and hips to get the joints moving better. Try as we might, none of these things yielded a head down baby. No, no. And time was moving quick. Like you found out at 36 weeks, 37 weeks is term. And you can go into labor at any point there and not be preemie. So what other options did you have in front of you? Well, there's the option to have the cesarean birth. There's the option to have vaginal breach delivery in a hospital. And then there's the option to have a vaginal breach delivery at home. And the latter two, there aren't many people who do that anymore. You can opine on the reasons why better than I can. Most of the information I have is from your podcast oh. about, and, and also listening to Dr. Fishbein talk about things. I'm sure we'll say who he is in a minute, but I wanted to try and stay as close to my original quote unquote birth plan as possible, which meant attempting a home breach vaginal delivery. Did you have the option to have a doctor manually try to turn the baby? Yes, there is the option to do a manual version. And I consulted with two doctors. I consulted with a doctor at a hospital for a hospital version. And then I consulted with Dr. Fishbein for one in his office. And the timing just sort of worked out because as you said, I was already 37 and whatever weeks along. I was able to get in to see Dr. Fishbein really quickly and attempt a version in his office as opposed to the hospital would have taken a little bit longer. And we just tried it. And it was really interesting because we're in his office. Alex is there. My husband's there. Dr. Stu has, I think, two midwives that work with him. They were there. And he tried it. And we all thought it had worked. I don't know what was in the air that all of us thought that she had turned and then, of course, he you know looks at the ultrasound, and she indeed has not turned. She's not moved. And by the way, her heart rate did not change at all. She's asleep for the entire thing. <laughs> what did it feel like <laughs> to you when he was trying to move her? It's deep and intense, and I really wanted it to work. So I was just trying to relax because my understanding is at the hospital, they give you some drugs to relax your muscles, your uterus, and your maybe your abdominal muscles. And without those drugs, I was just trying to relax as much as I can. I know that at that level, a lot of the muscle movements are involuntary. So there wasn't as much that I could control. So I just tried to relax and it was painful and it was intense. And he tried it and then he was going to try it again. And I couldn't take it. I said, okay, I can't, I can't. With the options left then with the, the version not working, 
you had either the hospital breach birth option, which is a very rare option, and you had the home breach birth option, which is also a very rare option. I know you ultimately chose to go as close to your birth plan as possible. So since you had the option to deliver your baby at home breach, that's what you chose. But in your mind, was there a question? Were there pros and cons to each option for you? Yeah, so definitely pros and cons. And the cons are mostly fears. The general fears that came up at this time that influenced that decision were okay, this is my only fear that I've had about this, about pregnancy this entire time. That's interesting. So I have to face this. My husband became a little bit more afraid because it was a new thing that we didn't understand. And then there's also just the societal fears where everyone says, this is now very dangerous. And so in a hospital setting, I knew that I was going to try and avoid a C-section at least initially. And so in terms of trying it at home or in a hospital In a hospital setting, there are all these emergency measures that can be implemented instantaneously if something goes sideways. So that's a major pro. And there are more doctors that will do it in a hospital than at home. Another pro, I had more options. And there's, of course, the options to have drugs, epidurals and things like that. And also my understanding is that one of the concerns about a breached birth, especially for a first-time mother like me, is that the cervix won't dilate because there isn't the head putting the pressure on the cervix. It's a smaller thing. It's the squishy butt or it's a foot or it's whatever it is. And so they can give you things like Pitocin or whatever to speed up labor that will give a person maybe more of an opportunity to actually successfully deliver vaginally. So there are major pros in a hospital. Pro for being at home, it's what I had originally wanted. It's the bacteria around me that I wanted. I don't have to be in a hospital. (laughs) And the team that I had really, my understanding was that they would let me kind of drive the labor process as opposed to my understanding of some of the doctor's processes for the vaginal breach hospital delivery is that there's a bit more of a protocol to ensure a more successful breach delivery. I don't know how much this weighed into your decision or not, but once again, there's the snacks. (laughs) Once again, there's the snacks. Yes, it's true. It's true. I have macadamia nuts here. I don't know if they have those at the hospital. (laughs) I mean, generally, they don't want you to eat anything, even if you're doing a head down vaginal birth. So Right. Yeah. No macadamias for you. Okay. Curious how this whole thing went down. We're going to take a break and come back and find out how your birth went. (laughs) Welcome back to the Informed Pregnancy Podcast. Okay, here it is. With all the options have uh, now run out for getting the baby head down and weighing the pros and cons of a cesarean birth versus hospital breach birth versus home breach birth. Cody, you chose home breach birth. How and when in relation to your due date does your labor start? My labor started the day before my due date. Your anal. <laughs> yes, it was really inconvenient, by the way, because I had been told many times by many people that as a first time birth, she was going to be late. And so I had a lot of work I was supposed to do that weekend. (laughs) And indeed she came the day before her due date. How did it start? My water broke pretty clear. Okay. I always ask this question. Was there any question that that was your water breaking or was like, whoa, that was my water. There was a little bit of a question. Uh, It was really early in the morning. I had gotten up to go to the bathroom and I took a couple steps out of the bathroom and some liquid fell on the floor. And so I thought, oh, maybe my bladder is just losing it. Maybe this is the end of pregnancy. I don't know. So I actually got back into bed. I just kept kind of walking, (laughs) cleaned it up, got walking, went back to bed. And then I started thinking, well, maybe I should put something around me so that I can kind of measure this and see what's going on. And I did put on a pad and I was full within like 10 minutes. Oh, wow. So it was pretty clear. Okay. But no contractions or surges or anything like that? No contractions, surges. I didn't feel anything for about an hour and a half. I had some light cramping. I guess that is a contraction maybe, Mm -hmm. but to me it felt... Not even like a period cramp, just nothing. 
Okay. What time did the original water breaking happen? 7 a.m. Oh, 7 a.m. Okay, so at 8.30. Mm-hmm. Contractions start. Mild. Mild. Having breakfast with my husband, talking, chatting. Can't believe this is happening, but it's almost as if it were any other day other than he and I were both sending messages, canceling everything that we're supposed to be doing that day. <laughs> okay. When your water breaks and you start having contractions, are you excited? Are you, again, anxious? A combination of both? I just this is it. I thought this is it. You know, here we are. I think that's something that's really nice about your water breaking is that it's not ambiguous. Labor has begun. And I was really grateful. It happened on a Wednesday morning, which happens to, for some reason, be a very peaceful day generally in my neighborhood. There aren't that many leaf blowers going on. It just, for some reason, (laughs) Wednesdays in my neighborhood are very tranquilo. They're very relaxed. And so... I was just really happy it was a Wednesday. That was my thought. <laughs> I just love that when your neighborhood is not peaceful, it's a leaf blower. It's Well, it's a leaf construction. <laughs> I, just, I just remember thinking, this is nice. And we had all the doors open. It was a beautiful spring day. And I just thought, this is just so nice. And I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm just really grateful that this is how I'm doing it. I'm grateful that I'm with this person at this moment in my life with this beautiful day in the city of Los Angeles spring day. I just thought this is a really beautiful day to do this. Sounds dreamy. It was honestly that I must've been high on oxytocin without even really just beyond high on oxytocin. (laughs) How did things progress for you? Well, for some reason decided I needed to be in my pool and the contractions by about 1030. So three and a half hours after my water broke two hours after contraction started By about 10.30, they were already five minutes apart very consistently, three Mm. or five minutes apart. So it came really fast and they were intense. At least the way I perceived them was that they were intense. And for some reason, I wanted to get in my pool. And by the time my doula came around 11, 11, I was in the pool. The birth team, Dr. Fishbein and Alex came around noon. I was still in the pool. And later they kind of said, what is she doing in the pool? <laughs> because <laughs> for people who don't know about this, the water kind of counteracts gravity. And so especially for a breech delivery where they really want the pressure on the cervix to dilate, being in water so early can slow down labor. But I was just in the pool. I don't know why. And I, I, I mean, if, if they were here, they would agree with me. It really was this insane oxytocin, beautiful beginning of the birth. For the first few hours, we were outside. The birds were chirping. It was a gorgeous day. I had like a baseball hat on and nothing else floating in my pool, giving birth. This is amazing. And it really was dreamy. It was just dreamy. And that lasted for quite a few hours. Meanwhile, in the background, they're saying, I'm sure this isn't going to progress very fast because what is she doing in the pool? (laughs) All I'm thinking is, wow, this girl really trusts her filter. I know, especially for having my water broken and for yes. a breech birth. They were concerned. Yeah, and in terms of you, but also then in terms of your pool. It's, yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. But mostly you and your baby. Yeah, mostly me, yeah. Uh, it's a, we have a saltwater pool. I don't think I would have been in if it were chlorine. So we do have a saltwater pool. But uh, yes, it was a concern. And at some point, by the way, about one o'clock, they asked me to get out of the pool. They said, listen, you really need to go. And I got out of the pool and my living room is the first room when you walk inside. And I, we were on the ball. What do you call that? Like big birth yoga ball. ball. The birth mm-hmm. ball. The Yeah, the big ball. Exercise ball. The Exercise ball. ball. Basu ball, whatever it's called. I was on that and I was angry. And they would say things like, we need to you know, try a contraction on here. And I, was, I remember just thinking, I am furious. And I think I had to say, I said it, I'm furious that I'm here right now and not in the pool. pool. I'm furious. And so I did maybe, I don't know how many, not very many contractions. And then they said, it was just not working. I was angry. It was just not working. They said, let's try going upstairs and getting in bed and see if you can rest for a little while. And so we made a transition. And at that point, Dr. Fishbein had left because he, with his wisdom, knew that things were moving pretty slowly, although I thought things were moving very quickly. Mm-hmm. So you have Dr. Fishbone, you also have a midwife, you also have your doula yeah. and your partner and your funny yeah. dogs. But and the dogs. 
nobody has checked your cervix at this point. Nobody has checked my cervix. And you know what you're talking about here because here's what happened. They said, you can get in the shower. You just can't be in the pool or the tub. So I got in the shower. I could not stand being out of water. I got in the shower. Reed got in with me and we sat on the shower floor and had the huge rush of oxytocin, an incredible bonding moment. It was amazing. And I thought, this is it. This is, we are really in the flow here. And I got out and they checked me. This was at this point now about 5 p.m. So we've been in labor for the entire day. What is that, nine hours? hours? 10 hours. And uh, they checked me. And I remember Alex looked up at me and she said, I just want you to know some version of, I just want you to know this is not the only way that we measure labor. And I thought, or measure your progression. I thought, oh man, I must be less than like four centimeters or something. Because otherwise she would say it. She would say, you're only at five centimeters. We have a, a way to go. It turns out I was at one. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I had already been saying things like, I understand why women just want the babies cut out of them. Just cut it out. Oh, wow. Give me the drugs. I understand why the drugs are easier. Is this even working? Am I even doing this right? I remember saying all these different things. And so they didn't tell me that I was one centimeter, but they went to my husband and they said, listen, she's only one centimeter. We kind of know how this is going to go. We're going to let her labor until about 11 or 12 at night. We'll check her then, but we are going to have to transfer to the hospital. So I just need you to prepare for that. We're not going to tell Cody, but I need you to prepare for that because that's probably where this is going. Wow. I mean, did he talk to you at all? No. Kept it to himself. Yeah. That must've been hard for him. It must've been really hard for him. Cause it sounded like you guys were so bonded. So like one. Yeah. And I think that he knew that it probably meant uh, there was one doctor who I hadn't done a consultation with who had a relationship with my doula and she was seeing if he might accept me to maybe let me continue to try and labor with maybe some Pitocin or something to speed up the labor in the hospital. But generally, if you're transferring from a home breach, it's a C-section. Because of the breach. Because of the breach. Normally, you have the option to transfer from home birth to a hospital and just continue to labor. But with breach, since there's so few providers, it's the end of your vaginal birth, typically. Correct. And he knew that I really wanted to avoid surgery at all costs. And so, but here they are saying, listen, we're just going to let her do it so that she can feel like she's labored, but we're going going to a hospital. This is really what's going to happen here. Yeah. So that's, you know, but they were still going to give you a few hours. So what happened over that time? They let me get back in the pool. Oh, nice. <laughs> because <So> they, <laughs> they said, what difference does it make? We're going to the hospital anyway. So they didn't tell me that again, but they just said, you want to get in water, get in water, do whatever you want. And so I got in the pool for a little while longer. And I said that, cause of course I have no idea. And so I'm, and, and I don't, and I don't really know how birth works. And so I thought she could just pop out. And I said <laughs> to my doula, can Dr. Fishbine come back? Cause if she comes out because she's breached, if she comes out and he's not here, she could die. And Carmen said, okay. <laughs> and so they called Stu, even though again, they're thinking what's Stu going to do? We're going to a hospital for a C-section. He's not doing anything here. But he came back and that gave me a lot of confidence. And by that point, it got a little cold outside. So I came back and transferred to my indoor pool of my bathtub because I just Mm -hmm. could not stand to be out of the water. Wow. Yeah. And by the way, I should say I'm not a giant water person generally in life. This is completely about this birth. So he came back and I was laboring in the tub and Alex came up and checked me and this was around 10 p.m. and I was seven centimeters dilated. Whoa and she was expecting like two. She was expecting you know two and we're going in an hour even hour to pack a bag and we're out of here. Yeah. Wow. I was seven. And that's with all the water stuff that you weren't supposed to be doing. It was and I can't explain it other than I am really grateful that my birth team allowed me to find my labor. You know what? This is really bringing a a vivid memory for me of a time when I was a doula and my client was also a doula and uh, she was giving birth at home and she wasn't maybe two centimeters. Granted, it was her second baby, but she just had this incredible urge to get into water. And the midwife was like, this is not a great time to get into water. 
because you know it'll slow things down or this and that and then she said again i just want to get in there and so she's like look it's your birth of course follow your instincts do whatever you want to she was in water for maybe 20 minutes and went from two to ten and she was ready to push yeah. and uh, i gotta get her on here to tell her story also but you don't know i mean you your instincts you have so many sensors millions of sensors that we don't have it's like your instincts are sort of much more knowledgeable than all of our educated intelligence put together. So that's really cool. So seven. Seven. Yeah. But you're right, by the way. It, you're right. And and it really is divinely orchestrated. The body just knows. Alex asked me at one point, you know, she said, can you tap in and see if there's any intuitions that come up about what's holding her back or what's holding you from dilating? And what came up for me was that her foot was stuck on something. Couldn't explain why. She ended up being a footling breach. No way. Yeah. Wow. She ended up being born foot first. Wow. And so the body just knows. But we're jumping ahead. So we're in the bathtub. All of a sudden, I'm seven centimeters. They call in Dr. Fishbein, who has since arrived. He checks me as well to confirm. He also says seven, seven and a half. And all of a sudden, it's a different ball game. Now we are preparing for this to happen at home. So I stayed in there for a little while longer. And then about an hour and a half later, still in the tub, my body is involuntarily bearing down. And they're saying to me, you know, try not to do that. Try to resist that because I'm not pushing and they want me to save my energy for when I'm actually pushing. And after a while, I just couldn't stop it anymore. And I did a self-check. And this is one of the craziest moments I've experienced in my life where I did a self-check and I felt her squishy little butt and um, it was very squishy. And then I felt what I was sure was the umbilical cord. And then I thought, oh no, because a prolapsed cord means this is an emergency because as the baby's coming through the birth canal, they squish the cord, they cut off their oxygen supply. This is really serious. And my eyes got really wide and then the cord wrapped itself around my finger. And it was her toes. <laughs> it was her toes. Oh my goodness. Okay. And then all of a sudden in the birth canal are toes and a, some portion of a butt cheek. <laughs> and we don't know what's going on. And so that was my first interaction with my daughter, by the way, my first like real interaction of touching her with my hands. And then we get out of the tub. I, I'm involuntarily bearing down too much. It's time to push. And I try on the bed on sort of all fours and it's just not working. And so they give me a birthing stool. And that is where I ended up delivering because I was able to pull up on the stool as I was pushing down. down. Yeah. And that really worked for me. And she was born foot first. She had one foot that came first. Was it like an incomplete breach where... (laughs) The butt is down and a foot is down at the same time? Yeah. Yes. Wow. How long did you push for? About an hour and 20 minutes. Mm, What was pushing like for you? Um, I'm just really grateful that there were women there who had been through it, meaning the midwives and doula, because they said things that were practical. The burning sensation of when you feel like you're just about to tear into a million pieces They would say, push through that, push into that and push through that. And of course, my mind says, walk away from that. Yeah. And so I didn't know to push harder through that. And I had to push. They told me later, I knew I was pushing very hard, but they told me that comparatively for the births that they've been at, I had to push really, really hard compared to some of the other women because it's just a little foot coming through and not um, an entire head helping me. And so um, I had to push quite hard and their knowledge was really helpful. That was my takeaway from the pushing was, I'm really glad it was really the only time they gave me any instruction. And I'm really glad they did because I certainly did not intuit to push so hard. I mean, the moment the baby came through you. So I was at the foot of my bed and I have a door that leads outside in front of it. And it's, it's the middle of the night now we're around three, 4 a.m. And they're shining flashlights because our lights are not very bright in our, in our room. So they're shining their phones 
around to kind of see. And so I can see in the door a, a loose reflection of myself and then all of a sudden her. And I remember thinking, I have to do this. <laughs> I have to push her out because what is the other option? She stays inside and she dies. I mean, what is the option? It was so hard. That's kind of the miracle about it as well is that there is really no other option. You, ha- I just, you have to move forward. And so when I started to see, they, they started showing me her in the reflection. And then also they got a little mirror and showed her to me to show me what was happening. And that brought it more clearly into focus. And then she was out. And the thing about breech babies is that they can be a bit loopier than head down babies. And she was indeed a little bit loopy. It took her a couple minutes to breathe. And she had a lot of fluid in her lungs because I guess it's not pushed out in the same way as a head down baby. So they had the suction and everything kind of ready to go. We didn't end up using it, but it took her whatever the max, you know, if it's three, four minutes that they want before they're scared about the breathing not happening, she took all that time to herself before letting us know that she was okay. So I just want to know she was okay. And then she was. Yeah. And then after that, was there this sort of moment because you'd been through so much already by that point. Was there a moment where just pure relief filled your mind? When she started breathing and everyone took a sigh of relief as well. She started breathing and, and then all of a sudden there she was. And I thought, well, whatever happens next, she's here and she's alive and she's fine. And actually, I don't even know if you know this, but the scariest part is yet to come. The scariest part is what happened with the placenta. Yeah. Oh, I was about to ask, how was your placenta? (laughs) Yeah. No. So my placenta only half detached and we had to manually extract it. Yeah. It was a wild birth. (laughs) Oh my God, you're a warrior. (laughs) It was a wild birth. That's insane. So she came out and they put me on my bed and I was sort of relaxing and the contractions had stopped. I wasn't really losing too much blood. They gave me a shot of Pitocin and to try and get them going and they were not happening. And so Alex tried, she realized that my cervix was closing. And so she went in to try and assess and found that the placenta was indeed only half detached. And we were almost at that hour mark where most doctors would say, we need the placenta out before an hour. And she went in to try and remove it. And she was unable to, and then Dr. Fishbein came in and was able to remove it by putting his right hand up to almost his elbow and scraping it up. It was attached at the upper part of the uterus. So he had to push it down. Yeah. And then I was losing a lot of blood and they were saying, do we have to transfer and what's the deal? And I talked to Dr. Fishbein in preparation for this podcast. And he said, in my mind, there was just no version of us transferring. We're getting out the placenta. We're not going to the hospital now after all this. And he got it out. I can't even begin to imagine what that felt like. Yeah. I mean, in all my sessions with you, you kept warning me about the pain. That was your pain was nothing compared to that. I I, I can't begin to imagine. It was Uh, very intense, but you know, look, it's so many OBs say, I I would never do that to somebody without drugs. What are we going to do? You know, and, and my body was on drugs. My body was on all kinds of natural drugs that were pumping through it. And if someone walked up to me as we're sitting here in this conversation and tried that, the pain would be excruciating. But I'm in an altered state. I really was. I think that a lot of people lose focus about the fact that your body makes very, very powerful and effective drugs that yeah. uh, literally change your mind and change how you perceive pain. So it's, uh, it's lost on a lot of people. They say, how can you give birth with no drugs in general? But you are giving birth with drugs. They're just different drugs. Completely. Uh, all right. In retrospect, is there anything that you would have done different? Anything that you learned from this birth that you'll take with you into future experiences? I have to let, I've let go of the placenta experience because you can't test for that. There's no way to know. I can't carry that forward, the possibility of that happening. I cannot carry the possibility of that happening again forward with me. It doesn't serve me. What I will carry with me is it's really important to assemble a team that you trust because in that space, I never got scared because I trusted the people around me. And then that enabled me to trust my body and my body ultimately did what it needed to do. And then Dr. Fishbein helped with the last part. 
And the other thing that I would take is that vaginal breech birth at home or at a hospital is something that should be an option for all women because it's not one in a hundred thousand babies that are breech. It's three or four in a hundred. It's one in 33 or 34. This should be an option for women because it's possible. Maybe, maybe I had to push a little bit harder, but that's it. Yeah. I mean, tr- literally, that's it. That's the only difference. Yeah, you know, sadly, it's a disappearing art, and I don't see the pathways forward to where these types of birth become available to more people. It's really sad, and it's not that it's the right choice for everybody. It may not be the right choice for many people, right? but for the people for whom it is the right choice and they don't have that choice, it's really sad to watch. So I don't know. I always hope and wonder that when we share stories like yours, just real, honest stories about what you were feeling and what you were wanting and what was available to you and what you did, that hopefully it just inspires. I know a lot of residents listen to our podcast or a good number of residents and doctors and midwives. And I just hope that opening minds and also people who are pregnant listen to it and when they find out they have a breech baby and had no idea that this was even still being done today learn that they might have an option and so my hope is that by you sharing your story your powerful story that somebody who wants this option and is a good candidate for this option will have it and they might not have had we not done this episode so i'm very grateful to you well that's why i'm here i'm thank- grateful that you're doing these podcasts and I think that's the misconception about empowered birth is that it's at home with no drugs. To me, an empowered birth means that the woman has had the opportunity to make the choice that she wants. And that's what I had. Mine happened to be at home. It's still mind boggling to me. The one thing you were worried about is that your baby would be breached. But if your baby wasn't breached, this would just be a plain old home birth podcast. Okay, so Cody, thanks a million for being here and for sharing your story. I'm inspired. I was inspired the first time I met you, but now I'm even more inspired. And at home, thanks for listening to the Informed Pregnancy Podcast. If you would like more pregnancy and parenting information, visit us online at informedpregnancy.com. I got